0: Good morning. Feels like a long time since I've been up here last, and uh, I was saying to Leanne on Friday as I got home from uh, the office that I think I'm going through preaching withdrawal. <laughs> and uh, part of the reason for that, I haven't preached in two weeks. Uh, uh, most of you already are aware of why that is, uh, two Already two weeks ago, Saturday, October the 12th, we also welcomed a new baby into our family, Theodore Henry, and uh, if you look back at him, he'll wave to you. <laughs> or maybe Leanne will just give you a smile. So uh, we're thrilled. He was born uh, on yeah, October the 12th, Saturday, uh, three p.m., and uh, he weighed 7 pounds, 4 ounces, and uh, he's been doing Been doing really well, so we're just so thankful for him. I was thinking of the words to that last song we sang All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. What a statement! All I have needed? All of it, really? Like, not just some of what I've needed or most of what I've needed. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. That is an awesome, awesome thing to be able to sing with conviction, that God has provided everything that we need, and we as a family have just felt that so much in these past couple of weeks, that not only has he provided the safe passage of our son into this world and bringing Leanne through, but, but then the, the coming around us of our family and our friends and, and you as a church family has just truly been awesome, and we just feel so blessed and so thank you for all of you who have, have wished us well, who have brought meals by. That's been really appreciated as well. Uh, it's just it's so great to be a part of a family like this, and we just feel truly blessed. God has provided everything we need. And I was thinking as the theme this morning in Sunday school is sort of developed along the lines of those in other parts of the world, Christians who are, who are not experiencing the blessings and prosperity and the freedom that we have, and where they're being persecuted. And Henry shared this morning in Sunday school a story of of a man who three men who are in prison, and two of them were put to death, and they were asked to recant their faith, and their reply was, Jesus, (laughs) I'm coming. That is just incredible. Uh, And then in the video here, we see again an example from the book of Acts, where they were in prison, and even there, they're praising God. In that circumstance, they could still say, All I have needed, your hand hath provided. Can we really say that in any circumstance? That is the the thing for us as Christians to realize. It's not just because we have so many blessings here that we can say that. No matter the circumstance in life, we can truly say, All I have needed, you have provided. And he wants to continue to do that. He wants to uh, remind us of that again this morning in his word. And so I'm just excited to uh, share this with you. I'm ready to get the preaching withdrawal out of my system. So here we go. Would you just bow with me and let's commit this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that by your word we receive truth. Not the world's version of the truth, but your version. The only one that matters because you are the author of truth. You have created all things by your hand and your word. You have made them and you sustain them every single day. You tell our hearts to keep beating, our, our complex systems of our body to keep functioning, our blood to circulate, Lord, our minds to keep thinking and, and and focusing, and all of these things that we take for granted every single day. You are the sustainer. And as we look at the changing Uh, weather around us we're reminded again even as we go into fall and we look ahead to the the cold of winter we're not enthusiastic about it and yet even there we see your hand once again providing the seasons that there will be spring there will be a harvest there will be winter and next year we have the promise that again there will be spring there will be seed time there will be harvest and we see your hand in this you sustain this and so we just want to give you the glory for that father because you are good Thank you for what you want to speak to each one of us this morning. I pray that you would tailor it to each one of our hearts, that our specific needs this morning, what we need to hear, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak through this word. May it be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It made absolutely no sense. I mean, who in their right minds would be crazy enough to buy land... In a time of war. Especially when defeat by the enemy appeared to be imminent. Purchasing land about to be overrun by an invading army, that makes about as much sense as buying a house that's already on fire. Things just aren't going to end well. Only someone either completely crazy or incredibly gullible would do something like buying land in a time of war. Anyone with any bit of common sense was either liquidating their property and possessions or, or just selling everything they had and trying to escape. Because they knew that the defeat and eventual capture by the enemy was just a matter of time. And yet, here he was, about to sign the deed to the land. And all because he told him to do it. Forcing aside his thoughts for the moment, he took a deep breath, let out a long sigh, and leaned over to sign the document. As he picked up the pen, a wry smile crossed his face. I wonder which one I am crazy or gullible? Probably a little bit of both, he decided as he finished his signature with a flourish. Looking up, he could see the momentary glint of triumph in his cousin's eyes. "'like a cat that swallowed the canary,' he thought. "'But far from being a gullible sheep "'who had allowed someone to pull the wool over his eyes, "'he already knew that his cousin's land "'that he had just purchased was worthless. "'And from the very first moment, in fact, "'that his cousin had approached him about buying the land, "'he knew that he was trying to pull a fast one on him. "'With a flourish of grand generosity,' and flattery his cousin had approached him and said to him, as, as my closest and dearest kinsman, the first opportunity to purchase the land belongs to you, and so I will give it to you at a family discount, of course. The one small detail that his cousin had failed to mention was that the property had already been overrun by the invading army, but none of that mattered now because it was a done deal. The deed to the land was signed, sealed, witnessed, notarized, and of course, most importantly, the payment of 17 shekels of silver were in his cousin's hands. But even now that he had actually gone through with this, he still had doubts. Had God really told him to do something so incredibly foolish? Of course he remembered that God had told him to do some pretty strange things in the past. Like the time that God had told him to go and buy a linen belt, basically underwear, and then go and hide it in a crevice in the rocks for a very long time. Then much later, God told him to return and dig out this undergarment, which was now ruined and completely useless, and go and hold it up before all the people and say this, Because of your wickedness, I will ruin your pride, and like this belt, you will become completely useless. Yeah, that one had gone over well, (laughs) like a lead balloon. He still remembered the mocking laughter, the ridicule, and the scorn that had been heaped on him that day. Then there had been that time that God had told him to go buy a clay jar and go in front of the city elders and smash it on the ground and tell them, because of your continuous wickedness, I will smash this nation and city just as this clay jar has been smashed on the ground. Yeah, that one had gone over even better. Instead of only laughter and ridicule, that one had earned him a severe beating and a night in the city stockades. Yep, being a prophet of God, it had made for a interesting life, to say the least. And now after all of that, God tells him to use what little remains of his money to buy worthless land already captured by the Babylonian army. Why? Supposedly as a symbol of hope. That, that one day, houses, fields, and vineyards would once again be bought in the land. And, well, all fine and good except for the one small detail. The Babylonians' siege ramps were already nearing completion. In fact, they were only days away from scaling the city walls and taking the city captive. And so here he was, with his cousin waltzing out the door with the remaining of his money. And here he was, left holding a worthless, piece of le- a worthless piece of land, a worthless document. And as he holds it up and he looks at it, I'm sure he thought to himself, maybe this is what a prophet's retirement portfolio looks like. Something like Florida swampland. And I wonder if he didn't think to himself... I sure hope God knows what he's doing, because this doesn't make any sense to me. How many of you have been in a circumstance or in a position in life where it just didn't make any sense? Where try as you might, you just looked at the circumstances and you just thought to yourself, no one could fix this. And I wonder if even God could make sense of the mess that I'm in. Have any of you ever been offered to buy Florida property? Of course, prime beachfront real estate. We've all heard of those stories and probably know of a couple of people who had the wool pulled over their eyes. The odd person who went down to actually visit that land, uh, when they were given the direction, said, that's deep in the Everglades. (laughs) Go swim with some alligators, I guess. So here we see Jeremiah. His cousin comes up to him and thinks he's pulling a fast one on him, selling him land That's already been captured by the enemy. Little did he know that Jeremiah had already been told by God that this was going to happen. And that he was to go through with this as a symbol of hope for the nation. And yet, it didn't change the circumstances. Jeremiah lived in a complicated time. Everything around him was in chaos. The nation was about to go into captivity for generations. And here he's supposed to buy land as a symbol of hope. Complicated times that Jeremiah lived in. And you know what? We live in complicated times as well. All we have to do is turn on the 6 o'clock news just to find out how complicated our times really are. You know, we think of our, our neighbors to the south in the United States, and we hear numbers like their national debt has topped $17 trillion. I don't even know how many zeros that is behind the number 17, but it's a lot, and it just keeps going up and up and up. And now they've come up with a deal to bump it off for another four months. But four months from now, they're going to be at it again. And next time, the number will be $18 At what point do we say something's got to give? What is going to happen in this world and the the chaos and the structures that are going on around us? We look at the Middle East and we think of even uh, our Western nations and we see the spread of Islam. And we see it happening here in Canada and we, we watch the news and hear about Quebec and the measures that are being taken to try to have people uh, hide away their religious symbols, whether it's a head covering or a, or a big cross. And we see these things happening right here in our own country. These are complicated issues, and we see the trend going in a certain direction. And as Christians, it should give us pause to see what direction our nation is headed. We look at the Senate scandals that have dominated the news here for the past weeks and are still ongoing in our own government. Right here in Manitoba, we've already had Bill 18, the infamous anti-bullying legislation already passed by our government here in Manitoba, which carries along with it some good things, but also the very real possibility of infringing upon Christian schools' religious freedoms to teach the Bible as they believe it. And so we see these things heading in a certain direction here in our own country, complicated times, Right here in Killarney, you only have to read the guide to know of the doctor shortages and the ongoing issues within our own hospital right here in Killarney, resulting in the limited uh, emergency care that we're experiencing. We have to share between Boisvane and Dallarain. Once again, complicated issues that defy simple solutions. We live in complicated times. And this is all in the external sphere. What about personally? What about in your family? What about with your children, your husband, your wife? your parents, your brother, your sister. There are all sorts of complicated relational issues that most of us face in one way, shape, or form. We only have to start diving in past the surface level and we realize we all live in complicated times. So if that describes us today, the first thing I want to tell you is you can take some consolation in this. You are not the prophet Jeremiah. (laughs) Take consolation in that. Whatever God has asked you to do that's crazy up until this point, it's not on Jeremiah's level. I can almost guarantee you that. Like Jeremiah had to do some bizarre things, and the things that I shared at the outset are only some of the things that he had to do. He had a very difficult life, to say the least. The other things that we can take some instruction from, the prophet Jeremiah, and from his life story, as we realize that his entire life was one challenge after another. And as we consider this, we see that God sustained him through them. And so we can learn from Jeremiah to realize that just as God sustained him through complicated times, he can sustain us as well. He can navigate us through these complex issues of life in a way that defies our ability to understand. And so that's the premise that I want us to dig in a little bit deeper on this morning. How God can navigate us through the complex and complicated issues of this world. Now, it's safe to say that Jeremiah had a difficult job. But even though he couldn't make sense of it all, the key question is, would he be able to trust that God could? Would Jeremiah, in faith, be able to do what God asked him to do, believing that God could see the outcome? Would Jeremiah be able to trust The word that God had spoken to him earlier in his life, when he had spoken to Israel, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Could Jeremiah buy worthless land in that hope that God's word was true? And even after obeying God and buying the land, would God really follow through on that promise? Like Jeremiah, we face complicated problems as well. And so we also have times where we wonder if God will be able to bring something good out of something that appears only bad. Life is complicated. Rarely, if ever, does life play out exactly how we think it will. In fact, most of the time, it turns out entirely different. And we just can't make sense of it. But if your life is currently uncomplicated, serene, and simple, I want you to just sit back and thank God right now. Because that is truly a blessing from Him. Because you'll remember times in the past where life wasn't so simple. And if you're in a time in your life where there's peace, rest in that peace. Because we can almost be assured that there will be times again in the future where we will face complicated issues. And so, life is complicated, just as it was for Jeremiah. How do we begin to make sense of it? This is our first point for this morning. How do we begin to make sense of life? Our first point is this. When you can't make sense of it, talk to the one who can. When you can't make sense of it, talk to the one who can. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 16. We're going to read a little bit more of the story that I started at the outset. If you want to turn there with me to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. We'll be spending most of our time in the book of Jeremiah and around this passage in chapter 32. Beginning in verse 16, we read After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Now, most of us would just skip ahead to the prayer, we'd keep reading, but I want us to stop right there. After I had gone ahead and bought worthless land, I prayed to the Lord. It seems so simple, right? Something we so easily take for granted. We're in a difficult situation. What's the first thing you do? Think about this. You're in a tough spot. What do you do? What is your first instinct? Try to fix it, right? Try to solve the problem. Try to find a way out. Jeremiah's first instinct? Pray. Pray. He's facing something that doesn't make any sense. He couldn't make sense of it. So he talked to the one who could. There's many other passages of, passages of Scripture that back this up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 states, Pray without ceasing. That's a tall order, isn't it? To live in a state of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Philippians four verse six, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. There's no caveat on when you should pray. In fact, the admonition is in everything. There's nothing too small to pray about. In everything. Your first instinct, what is it? Go to God in prayer. There's a story from many years ago that probably some of you have heard before about a little boy in church who took the uh, principle of praying in every situation to its extreme He had been misbehaving quite badly during the church service, and despite his parents' best efforts to keep him quiet, he continued to be especially loud and boisterous. And finally, the irate father had had enough, so he picked the boy up, slung him under his arm, and began marching him to the back of the church. Judging by the expression on the father's face as he was leaving the sanctuary with his young son under his arm, everyone knew that a severe form of discipline was about to be administered. No one in the congregation so much as raised an eyebrow. They all knew that the little boy had it coming. Until the little boy, just at the back of the church, cried out, Y'all pray for me now? <laughs> in every situation, <laughs> in every situation, bring your requests to God. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? That's, that's christian ease for, are you talking to God? Are you talking to him? Are you talking to your best friend that you could ever have? Are you talking to the creator who can see the solutions to the problems that you haven't even seen yet? He already knows the solutions. He sees the way through. Are you talking to him? How is your prayer life? How are you using prayer? Are you using it as a Go ongoing, pray without ceasing, daily conversation? Or are you using it like that 911 service? Only when things get really tough. Then I'll dial up God for some serious prayer. You know, only when I've got to a circumstance that I can't figure out. Then I'll talk to God. But until then, you know, I'll just keep doing my thing. That's not the attitude God wants us to take in prayer. He doesn't want it to just be a 911 dialing service. He wants us to be in an ongoing communication with Him. When you can't figure it out, talk to the one who can in every situation. The second point I'd like to bring to your attention this morning is when things look bad, remember that God is good. When things look bad, remember God is good. Jeremiah 32, verses 17 to 19. This is the beginning of Jeremiah's prayer Ah, sovereign Lord. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sin into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. When things looked bad, Jeremiah reminded himself that God is good. We see here in his prayer that far from telling God something about himself that God already knew, he wasn't telling God anything. He's like, God's like, oh, thanks. I I didn't know that I was a great sovereign God who nothing was too hard for me. No, in his prayer, Jeremiah was acknowledging God as such. And in doing so, he was reminding himself of who God is and who the God is that he was serving. Notice the things that he recites. First, he addresses him as sovereign Lord. Sovereign, meaning he is over and above all things. He is over and above. He has no equals. He has no peers. In the scripture passage that was read for us earlier from the, the book of Jeremiah, we see there a comparison between the gods that people had made up. Craftsmen could make some nifty gold idols and people would worship them and say, yes, this is the God who brings the rain. This is the God who sends the sun. And God says, Those things, they're garbage. They're worthless. I am the true God. I am the creator. I am the one who, by my spoken word and outstretched arm, created all things. And so we see here this comparison. God has no equals. He has no peers. He is over and above all things. Who is like God? Who can explain Him? Who can understand Him? Where did He come from? Where was His beginning? Who can answer those questions? I sure can't. I sometimes just like to blow my mind on starry nights. I go outside and I look up at the sky and I just ask, Okay, God, how long have these stars been here? (sighs) A long time. Okay, I got that. And what was here before then? Well, nothing. But you were here. That's right. And where did you come from? I've always been here. Huh? Mine can't comprehend. It's it's beyond me but that's because he's God. He is sovereign. He is over and above. He has no equals, he has no peers who can understand him. Next Jeremiah declares that God is the creator and that as the one who has the power to create the cosmos and the stars and the infinite number of galaxies that are continuously being discovered farther and farther there is no end to space it seems. The galaxies are just beyond our comprehension. Nothing is too hard for him. He created these things on a whim just to show his glory and splendor and power and to blow our minds of who is this God who is greater than the galaxies. Nothing is too hard for him. Then Jeremiah remembers that God is loving. Loving. That in all of this power, he still shows love to thousands. He declares that God is just as well that in his love he also brings punishment, that he brings judgment upon sin, even to the future generations. He then affirms that God's purposes are great and his deeds are mighty. And then from verses 20 to 23, he recalls the miraculous signs and wonders that God performed to free the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. So even though Jeremiah was confused and he was troubled by his current circumstances, he reminded himself, he remembered that God was good in the past, and so he would be good in the present. If you're facing a hard time and a challenge, can you remember times where God was good in the past? Can you remember times where God intervened in your life in some awesome way? And you're like, yeah, he did that. Then you can rest assured that he will be good in the present. He will be good in your current circumstance as well. And even if you can't make sense of it yet, God already has, and he has a solution. And so we need to trust him. And so even though Jeremiah was confused, he reminded himself that God is good. Psalm 34 verse 8 states this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in in him. There's a story of one of God's faithful missionaries by the name of Alan Gardner. He lived in the 1800s. He experienced many physical difficulties and hardships throughout his service to the Savior in his various missionary travels. And despite his troubles, he said this While God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. He faced many failures in his missionary journeys, many times of opposition. And yet he said, "Well, God is with me. While God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me." And in 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving on Picton Island at the southern tip of South America. And when his body was found, his diary was lying nearby. It bore the the uh, the record and the account of the hunger, the thirst, the wounds, and the loneliness that he had endured. Well while ministering to the natives on that island. The last entry in his little book showed the struggle of his shaking hand as he tried to write legibly. It read this in his final entry into the book. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Wow. That does something to me. To know that someone in that circumstance could say, I am overwhelmed by a sense of the goodness of God. However complicated your circumstances, remember that God is good. Even if he has called you to Picton Island to minister alone, facing starvation and opposition, and having to die alone, he was not alone. God was with him. And he showered him with his goodness, even as he left this life. Are you ever overwhelmed? (laughs) I am. I'm often overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by circumstances. I'm overwhelmed by challenges. I'm overwhelmed by the, the positions of responsibility that I've been putting. I'm overwhelmed by having to stand and administer God's word faithfully. I'm overwhelmed by many things, and yet it's in those things where God's goodness God's goodness comes through and he reminds me he is with me. And that is the most amazing experience in life is to know that no matter what God calls you to, he is good. He is with me. Don't be overwhelmed by your circumstances. Be overwhelmed By the goodness of God. This leads us to our third point for this morning. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Things that seem utterly impossible to us, are they too hard for Him? In verses 24 to 25, Jeremiah concludes his prayer by describing the hopelessness of his situation and his feelings of futility about purchasing this worthless land. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you have said has happened, as you can now see. Remember, he's praying to God here. A little bit of satire, a little bit of edge in this prayer, isn't there? The city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians. You, sovereign Lord, say to me in these circumstances... Buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. (laughs) Notice that even though Jeremiah is doing everything right, he has already obeyed God, he's bought the land, he's already declared the prophecy to the people, he's now praying about the situation, and he's remembering that God is good, and in spite of all of that, he is still experiencing doubt and discouragement. Has that ever happened to you? You're doing everything right. You're doing what God has asked you to do. You've obeyed Him. You're praying about it, and things just don't seem to be getting any better. Has that ever happened? It's so easy to get discouraged in those circumstances. But even there, can we trust that God will bring us through, that He sees the end of those prayers when we can't? It was earlier this spring when I went into. Have my wisdom teeth removed I had four wisdom teeth growing in Three of them were impacted And so that means the, the back molar This is how the dentist described it. The back molar is pointing up like this And the wisdom to- tooth was coming in like this Like completely sideways pushing into it And so it needed to come out Because it's grinding against the back one And it causes cavities and all sorts of complications This is not news to any of you Who have had your wisdom teeth out So in order for this to happen They needed to be operated on Because you can't just pull them out They need to be cut out And so in order to do this, they gave you two options. Either be put under completely or just have a local anesthetic. Now this is a bit of a, a, a confession. I'm not great with needles and pain and operations. And so when I was given the option to just be put out completely, you know, I just fall asleep and I wake back up and the whole thing's over. That sounded pretty good to me. And with everything else being equal, that's the choice I would take. No one said anything to me about what these things would cost, one versus the other. And I just assumed that I had 80% dental coverage with my insurance plan. So if it was all the same, I wasn't going to worry about that. And I just figured it would be the same. So going into the operation, I know a number, a number of people, some of you here this morning, had said that, they, that you would be praying for me. And I had other people praying for me. And I'd been praying about it myself, just that it would go well. And when the day came for the operation, I was driving into Brandon... And I was completely at peace, completely, utterly at peace, just like, relax, I wasn't nervous, nothing. And that was odd for me, because going into an operation, having your mouth cut up, normally would freak me out, but I wasn't. I was just totally calm, and it just seemed like, wow, God's already answering this prayer, I'm feeling good about this today. We pull into the parking lot of the dentist's office, and I kid you not, as we're pulling in my cell phone rings, I answer it, you know, I pull it up, I answer the cell phone, and it's the receptionist from the dentist office, and she says, I'm sorry, there's been a mix-up, we can't do your operation today. And I say, what? I just pulled into the parking lot, don't say anything more, I'm coming in the door. <laughs> I hung up the phone, and now I'm mad. I'm marching inside, I'm opening the door, I walk right to the receptionist desk, and I'm like, so what's this about not having the operation today? And she tells the story. Apparently, The anesthetologist had double booked for that morning. And so he wasn't going to be able to come in. And she's like, there's nothing I can do. He's double booked. He won't be here. And I just said to her, we're from out of town. We rearranged our schedules. Leanne took the day off work so she could be here because she's got to drive me home after. And I'm just upset. I'm angry. And she's like, I'm sorry. Can you book for later on in the week? And I'm just, I don't want to hear about later on in the week. I want this operation to happen today. I'm geared up for it. I'm ready to do this. Let's just get it done. And she's like, I'm sorry. It can't happen today. And I, I'm just so upset. She tries bringing up again about doing it later in the week. And I just said to her, I'm sorry. I'm a little upset right now. I just need to go sit down <laughs> before I say something. That I'm, I didn't say this, but I was thinking to myself, before I say something, I'm really going to regret. So I just turned around and I went and sat down in the waiting room and I'm trying to calm down. And I just remember praying in my head, Okay, God, what is this all about? I felt at peace. We are praying about this. What's, what's the meaning of all this? And I'm just sitting there, and finally the receptionist, a couple minutes later, comes over. She didn't come too close. I think she was keeping a bit of buffer zone. And she says, You can go in and talk to the dentist. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is better. At least I'm making some progress. I'm getting into the back room. So I get in the back room. I sit down. And again, I'm praying. And he's got one of those funny... <laughs> These are weird memories, but he's got one of these posters on the wall that are supposed to distract you, I guess, when they're doing operations. It's got all different colors on it and everything. And I'm sitting there just looking at this thing, and I just remember praying just the most pointed prayer I could ever think of. I just said, God, just make this happen today. I'm here. I want to get it done. Just please, just find a way that it can happen. And the dentist walks in, and he tells me this. I've been doing this business and these operations for over 20 years. And in those 20 years, I have never once had an anesotologist cancel on me. There's never once been a double booking. There's never once been a time where he couldn't come in. And I'm sitting there thinking, lucky me. You know, and then he just goes on to say, you know, but that's life. Things happen. And I'm just like, yeah, that's life. Things happen. And and I'm just like, okay, God, like, is this really it? I just got to... Go home and come back later in the week and rearrange the whole thing. And all of a sudden, I just, for some reason, asked the question, "Well, what if you didn't put me under, but you just did a local anesthetic? Could you do the operation then?" Uh, Twelve o'clock. It was ten thirty. <laughs> just like that, boom. Twelve o'clock, and I'm like, "Okay, let's do that then." So he says, "All right, head back to the window." So I'm like the whole circumstance has just pulled a 180. I'm walking back. I'm floating on air. I go up to the receptionist. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he says he can get me at 12 o'clock. She's like, oh, that's great. She's so relieved, of course, because she had to deal with me. <laughs> and she's like, all right, I got you in on the schedule. And then she also makes a side comment. She says, oh, and this is going to be way cheaper. And I say, what? She's like, oh, yeah, I'll run the new numbers for you, and I'll get back to you. So we go out, have some lunch, or well, I couldn't eat, but Leanne did, and We come back in and she she shows me the spreadsheet that apparently the 80% coverage was only for what they deemed essential services. Being put under was not essential service and so that was paid for 100% by me. And the difference between what it would have cost being put under versus just local anesthetic was $750. I would have gotten a bill for $950 and instead my bill was only $200 at the end of the day. And all because, for the first time in over 20 years, an anaesthetologist was double-booked. And I just sat there in the office and I just said, wow, you are God. I could never, ever figure out something like that. Like, who else could collaborate those details to work out things in such a way that it turned out to be for my good, for my benefit? And it just blew me away in that moment to realize God has his hand in the smallest details. There is nothing that is too small or too big that he can't coordinate it for our good. What an amazing God we serve, and nothing is too hard for him. And of course, I'm going to throw in the disclaimer, my wisdom teeth and saving 700 and some dollars is trivial. Trivial compared to the incredibly complex situation that Jeremiah was facing when he lamented the futility of buying useless land. But listen to how God responds to Jeremiah in verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? (laughs) Wow, what a question. Imagine if God just comes up to you and just puts it straight to you. So you're having some doubts. Let me ask you, is anything too hard for me? How are you going to respond to that? In your circumstance, is anything too hard for God? Let's put it into context for us. I can remember about five or six months ago, there were some pretty worried farmers around here. Six or seven months ago, there was still almost snow on the ground, as I believe. We had an especially long, hard winter, an extra volume of snow, which made for a shorter window for putting the seed in the ground, with rains on top of it, and there was a lot, a lot of worried farmers. But what happened this fall, worried farmers? (laughs) There's some good grain in those bins, aren't there? I dare you to find empty grain bins in this countryside right now. There's not too many of them kicking around, are there? There are full grain bins on top of full elevators. God has blessed us with an awesome harvest. Is a long winter and a short spring too hard for God? That's easy. That's nothing to Him. Nothing is too hard for God. And when we look at the world around us and we put these things into context, look at the Middle East. It seems like no one can figure out that place, the countries, the war, the violence. Is that too hard for God? Does God have a plan? Could God sort out the mess that the United States government is in right now? Could God figure out a solution for our clarny hospital doctor shortages? Could God heal the wounds of a broken marriage and restore it with love? Can he carry someone through the death of a husband or a wife or a child? Can God place hope and light in a mind clouded by depression and dark thoughts? Can he bring freedom to the one struggling with addiction? Can God renew faith in the one who is doubting his power and his goodness? To all of these questions and more, any more that we could possibly think of, the answer is, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is beyond his power to change. God is awesome. He is not like us. Nothing is too hard for Him. When the angel Gabriel told Mary that she was going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God, she, in her amazement and doubt, responded that, you know, she had never been with a man. And he replies to her doubt with this amazing statement in the book of Luke 137. The angel says to Mary, Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing not just some things. Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. Believe that God can make the things that seem impossible in your life right now possible. Even when it feels like God is taking his time, remember nothing is too hard for him. He can even take something that appears bad at the moment and turn it into something good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good Of those who love him. Do you love God? Are you his child? Have you given your heart to him? If so, you can claim this promise God is working in all things to bring about your good. Not necessarily immediately, not necessarily in a context that we would always think of something being good, but rest assured, he is working out for your good right now. And maybe some of that good we're only going to experience in eternity. But you know what? It's going to be worth it. Someday when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to know what good truly is. He is working out all things for our good. To those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's a great story some of you have heard before. Of years ago, a fishing fleet sailed out from a small harbor on the east coast of Newfoundland. In the afternoon, there came up a great windstorm. And when night settled down, not a single vessel of the entire fleet had found its way back into port. And as the night descended, a heavy, heavy, thaw- heavy heavy, fog encompassed the ocean and the seashore. Nothing and no one could see through it. And all night long, the wives, the mothers, the children, and the sweethearts paced up and down the beach, wringing their hands, worried, terrified that their, their husbands, their fathers... Their brothers would never find their way back home. They'd be lost out in the ocean. And so they called out to God to save their loved ones. And all night they prayed. But even in the night, to add to the horror of the situation, one of the cottages caught fire. And since the men were all away, it was impossible to save the home. It burned to the ground. All of the belongings and possessions with it. When the morning broke... To the joy of all, as the fog lifted, the entire fleet of fishing boats had found safe harbor in the bay. No one could believe it, but there they were, safe and sound. And as the men came to shore, there was these joyful reunions, hugs and embracing, and it was just an awesome scene, but in this crowd there was still one picture of despair, the wife of the man whose home had burnt to the ground that night all of their possessions all of their belongings gone and meeting her husband as he landed she cried out oh husband we are ruined our home and all it contained was destroyed by fire but the man exclaimed thank god for the fire it was the light of our burning cottage that guided the whole fleet into port god works all things to the good of those who love him is anything too hard for god Nothing is too hard for him. I want to leave you with this final thought this morning. Allow God's sovereign goodness to turn your problems into praise. First Thessalonians 5:18 says, "Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Even as the Babylonian siege ramps were raised against Jerusalem, God's will for Jeremiah was still that he be thankful, not thankful for the bad things that were happening. But thankful that God was with him, and through him, and would lead him and the nation safely beyond. And God reminds Jeremiah of this truth when he says to him, in chapter 33, 10-11, to 11, You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more... The sound of joy and gladness. The voices of bride and bridegroom. And the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. Declares the Lord God Almighty. Wow, what a promise. God's will for you today and every day is to be thankful to Him no matter the circumstances you face. Trust that the complexities of the nations and of your life are not too complex for God. Nothing is too hard for Him. He has a plan. He is in control. So when things don't make sense, talk to the one who can. When things look bad, remember that God is good. Is anything too hard for God? Nothing is too hard for Him. And finally... Allow God's goodness to turn your problems into praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Sovereign Lord, today we want to rest and be at peace in acknowledging that you are in complete control. You are in control of the nations. You are in control, Lord, of this nation, The country of Canada. You are in control of this province and of this town. Lord, beyond that, you are in control of this family, this church family at Bay Avenue. Lord, you are in control of this, your church, and your people. And each one of us, Lord, we are yours. And so today we acknowledge that you are in control of our lives, of me personally. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that even when times are tough, when situations are complex, oh Lord, we can rest in the knowledge that you see through it all. And through it all, you are bringing about the good to those who love us and are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, we pray that your will would be accomplished in all of these things, in our lives, in our church, in this town, and in this nation. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Oh Lord, we pray. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who needs a special touch and word from you, would you grant that even now, Father? Oh Lord, bring healing, bring hope, bring peace. For your sake, in the name of your Son we pray, the Lord Jesus. Amen.